Podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Kick it off hour two with some candle box. Let's go right now to Governor Kim Reynolds, her press conference going on right now. Additionally, Iowa law allows confirmation of outbreaks only when necessary to protect the health of the public. We've determined confirming outbreaks at businesses is only necessary when the employment setting constitutes a high-risk environment for the potential of COVID-19 transmission. Because employers are accessing testing from a variety of sources and not relying solely on the state, our department isn't aware of all of the testing that is occurring. In addition, case investigation and contact tracing is conducted in part by local public health and in part by the Iowa Department of Public Health. Part of the case investigation and contact tracing interview asks people where they work and who has been a close contact at work. The Iowa Department of Public Health does not routinely collect and store information about the number of employees at different businesses, so we haven't had ready access to all of the information necessary to confirm outbreaks at the point in time when 10% of employees working in these high-risk environments might test positive. We are working on these processes so we can continue to provide information to the public that is necessary for Iowans to protect themselves. While I know there is a high level of interest in IDPH announcing outbreaks at businesses, the most important thing for Iowans to know is how to take care of yourself and your health. This includes taking actions when you are around others, including staying at least six feet away, wearing a mask or other cloth face covering when social distancing is not possible, washing and sanitizing your hands frequently, covering your coughs and sneezes, and staying home when you're sick. In addition, if you are contacted on behalf of public health, please pick up the phone. You will be contacted if you are identified during a case investigation as a close contact with a confirmed case, and you will be provided with instructions about what you need to do to monitor your health and how to get tested if necessary. Unfortunately, we have heard of scams happening in other states related to contact tracing. Please know that public health or someone acting on behalf of public health will never ask you for your social security number or any other financial information. Today, we have confirmed an outbreak at the Tyson Pork Processing Plant in Storm Lake, where 555 of the 2,517 employees tested have had a positive result reported so far. As always, our department will continue to provide Iowans with information about actions you can take to stay healthy and informed. And with that, I'll turn it back to you, Governor. Thank you, Sarah. Again, I appreciate the work done by the Department of Public Health to keep Iowans informed throughout this pandemic. You know, COVID-19 has had an impact on every Iowan in one way or another, and farmers and producers are no exception. As the virus hit our country, it was critical that Iowa keep our economy moving, not only for our people, but for the world. Over 10% of our nation's food supply is produced by Iowa farmers. We're the number one producer of corn, soybeans, biofuels, eggs, and pork. In fact, one-third of the nation's pork is produced right here in Iowa. 
Iowa, approximately 44 million pigs a year. One-fourth of the nation's pork processing done right here in Iowa, approximately 150,000 pigs a day. Our farmers, truckers, grocery store workers, manufacturers, and processors were essential in keeping the food supply chain moving and food on our tables. Since the outbreak of the coronavirus, I've kept the lines of communication open between our, pro our producers, our truckers, grocers, and processors with my office. We kept Iowa open for business, delivered the food and other goods America needed during this pandemic. It's why I made surveillance testing and our food supply chain a priority. Over the past couple of months, we've been in touch with nearly 50 different manufacturers and processing facilities to offer and coordinate testing. We've provided both PCR diagnostic as well as serology testing for their employees. Today, we have completed diagnostic testing for more than 13,400 employees and serology testing for nearly 7,000 and even more than those numbers have gone through our Test Iowa sites. By working with our manufacturers and processors to provide surveillance testing, we're able to quickly identify and isolate positive cases, get our workers on a path to recovery, conduct um, conduct, conduct case investigation to de determine the scope of the virus and with proper PPE and CDC guidance in place, give employees the assurance of a safe workplace and employers the information needed in decision making. Iowa led the nation in taking aggressive and proactive measures to protect our state's critical infrastructure and essential workforce. We understood the potential impact to our nation's food supply, our state's economy, and our farm. Still, short-term closures and reduced production capacity occurred and has, has had a significant impact on our producers. Due to COVID-19, Iowa's agriculture industry could experience a multi-billion dollar impact, according to Iowa State University economists. Our pork industry alone could lose more than $2 billion, beef more than $700 million, corn nearly $800 million, and soybeans more than $200 million. Due to COVID-19, U.S. pork production has lost approximately 25% of its pr processing capacity, and this lost um, processing capacity will create a backup of approximately 600,000 pigs in Iowa that should otherwise go to market. This is devastating for Iowa farmers and producers, and it will be felt at all levels. Consumers are already seeing it at the grocery stores with higher prices of meats and limits of how much they can buy, which disproportionately affects lower-income Iowans. I've personally had the opportunity to speak with Vice President Pence and U.S. Secretary, USDA Secretary Purdue and have urged them for immediate support for our farmers and producers. Last week, the USDA announced additional details for relief to our producers through the CARES Act. The USDA COVID-19 Food Assistance Program, or CFAP, provides up to $16 billion in direct payments to America farmers impacted by the pandemic. It provides financial assistance to producers who have suffered a 5% or greater price decline due to COVID-19 and face additional costs as a result of lower demand, surplus production, and disruptions. Farmers, producers will receive payments drawn from two funding sources. The first, $9.5 billion from the CARES Act compensates farmers for losses due to price declines that has occurred between January 15th and April 15th and provides support for specialty crops. 
Additionally, $6.5 billion from the Commodity Credit Corporation Charter Act will compensate producers for losses due to ongoing market disruptions. Producers are all eligible of all eligible commodities will be uh, able to apply through their local FSA office, and applications are being accepted through August 28th. At the state level, we're also working to support Iowa's farmers and producers during this challenging time. They're the foundation of our economy, and when they're hurting, we're all hurting. And while we can't make the situation any less challenging, we can do our part to help. Through the state allocation for the CARES Act, I've appropriated $24 million in funding through the Disposable Assistance Program through IDOLS. And today, I've asked Secretary Mike Nag to join me and share information about the program that was announced earlier this week. Mike. Well, thank you, Governor, and I appreciate the opportunity to be here with you today. Uh, our farmers and our ag businesses and, and really everyone throughout the supply chain are managing through an unprecedented disruption to the marketplace. And today we're announcing a plan to specifically help our Iowa pork producers who are facing some very difficult decisions due to that processing disruption. But beyond pork, we know that this situation has impacted every part of Iowa agriculture and every farmer has been impacted in some way. Of course, we know that agriculture is not just about farmers. It's not just an economic imperative to the state of Iowa. It's also important to each of us as consumers and when it comes to the availability of food for our families. For more than uh, 10 weeks now, our lives have been turned upside down from COVID-19, and one of the side effects has been that massive disruption in the food supply chain. As the number of COVID-19 cases at large meat packing facilities has increased, uh, we've seen some of those facilities have to shut down, and nearly all of them have significantly reduced their processing capacity to accommodate for workers who tested positive and need to stay home and get the care that they need and allow for distancing between workers and the plants. This has resulted in farmers struggling to find uh, harvest capacity for their animals for meat. The low point for processing capacity here in Iowa occurred the first week of May, and by then we were running about 50,000 pigs short per day. By mid-May, an Iowa State University report estimated that approximately 600,000 pigs were backed up on Iowa farms that under normal circumstances uh, would have already been harvested. And this challenge will only continue to build until processing capacity is uh, back to full full strength and processing capacity improves each each week each day and as of today we're sitting at about 80 percent in the state uh, producers are exploring every option every opportunity to alleviate this backlog of animals including changing the the feed ration to uh, slow down the rate of gain finding new markets selling directly to consumers uh, making even making donations through our pass the pork program donating animals to food banks and food pantries to help food insecure Iowans however that backlog is larger than those solutions can address and so producers are already having to and will continue to have to look at the very difficult and emotional decision to euthanize their animals to prevent animal welfare issues. Euthanasia is always the last resort. I'll repeat that. Euthanasia is always the last resort. A pork producer's goal is to raise healthy animals to feed others. It's what they do. So euthanasia goes against everything that they do every day and everything that they stand for. And it creates a tremendous amount of emotional stress for those producers. When euthanasia is the only option though, producers consult with their herd veterinarians. They develop plans to humanely euthanize animals following American Veterinary Medicine Association guidelines. 
and dispose of those carcasses in an environmentally safe way. So starting this week, the Iowa Department of Agriculture launched the Disposal Assistance Program to provide financial resources to pork producers to properly dispose of animals. Producers must provide a confirmation from their veterinarian of an impending uh, welfare issue if action isn't taken and provide proof of proper disposal to receive funding. And that disposal assistance will be uh, made available to producers uh, through at least three rounds of funding throughout the next several weeks. The application for the first round is open now and it will close tomorrow. Uh, we are also developing criteria to allow producers that have already euthanized animals from May 1st to today to also apply for assistance through this program. We will release more information on that in the coming days. To apply for the Disposal Assistance Program, producers should visit iowaagriculture.gov slash IDAP or call the office 515-281-5321. And you know these are very, very, very challenging times in agriculture, but we're no strangers to adversity, and we know that brighter days are ahead. So thank you, Governor, for your uh, tremendous leadership during this crisis and for supporting the agriculture community at a time when they need it most through efforts like this. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Um, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to work together with you, and I truly appreciate your leadership. Secretary Nag set up an incident um, response team, I think, at the very beginning and has spent hours and hours talking to our farmers and producers all across the state, understanding the scope uh, of the impact of COVID-19 and what it meant to them. And I just really do appreciate your leadership. I appreciate you bringing these ideas and being able to help you really implement this program to help offset some of the damages that they're experiencing from COVID-19. COVID-19. Uh, you know, our state is truly blessed with our rich agricultural history and our hardworking farmers and producers who not only produce the livestock and grain necessary to feed and fuel the nation and the world, they also generously feed those in need when times require it. COVID-19 has been one of those times when we've seen food insecurity skyrocket. More Iowans than ever have required food assistance and Iowa farmers have stepped up to help through programs like Pass the Pork. Today, I am pleased to announce that I have also allocated additional funding through the CARES state funding to sustain and grow this program, the Pass the Pork, and provide additional relief to our food banks who are working so hard to meet the needs of Iowans experiencing food insecurity during these unprecedented times. I've asked the Lieutenant Governor Greg uh, to join me and to provide an update on the progress that's been made by the Feeding Iowa Task Force and the programs that will receive additional funding. Adam, thanks for joining us from the Capitol today. Good morning. Thank you, Governor, and thank you for prioritizing food insecurity during this pandemic. And thank you for providing significant funding to back that up with the over $3.5 million of funding that we're able to announce here today. The Feeding Iowans Task Force has been looking at creative ways to deal with supply chain disruptions and other market impacts during the COVID-19 pandemic, which you've heard about in detail today. Specifically, we've been looking at ways to create our own mini supply chains. We're very blessed to have agriculture, livestock production, and food processing as key components of our state's economy. And we've been working on ways to leverage that fact uh, to ensure that hungry Iowans have access to food. The funding Governor Reynolds is dedicating today allows us to do that in multiple ways. 
We've talked a few times today already about the Pass the Pork program, where pigs are donated and processed at local locker facilities, and the meat is donated to Iowa food banks. Today, Governor Reynolds is dedicating $500,000 to the Department of Agriculture to scale and expand that concept, not only for pork, but also to include beef as well, in partnership with Iowa's beef producers and the meat lab in the animal science department at Iowa State University. We're also working on solutions to support donations from turkey, egg, and dairy producers. Along similar lines of creating our own supply chains, we've been hearing from food bank purchasing directors that they're struggling to procure some of their typical shelf-stable products like rice, oatmeal, and pasta through their normal distribution channels. So we're creating our own. Uh, Governor Reynolds is dedicating $1 million toward the bulk purchase of these types of products. We will then partner with AmeriCorps workers from across the country who are trained at the NCCC campus in Denton, Iowa to repackage the products in the consumer size packaging. That allows us to purchase the products at bulk prices in large quantities outside the normal consumer supply chains and hedge against further disruptions. Governor Reynolds is also providing an additional $60,000 to support the ongoing AmeriCorps efforts through Volunteer Iowa. The governor is also providing $1 million in grants to Iowa's food banks to assist with the increased costs and challenges they're facing with food acquisition during this time, and also to cover increased supply costs. For example, the shift to pre-boxing the food has created significant additional costs along with increased sanitation efforts during the pandemic. Finally, the governor is also dedicating $1 million to the Double Up Food Bucks program. Run by the Healthy Estate Initiative, this program provides a one-to-one -one match of SNAP dollars to be used to purchase fresh fruits and vegetables at participating farmers markets and grocery stores. We feel this is a particularly good investment because it both helps Iowans in need and also helps our specialty crop farmers who tend to sell at farmers markets and who have experienced disruptions in their businesses as well. Governor, thank you again for dedicating such significant resources, over $3.5 million to the efforts of the Feeding Iowans Task Force. And thank you to the members of the task force who have worked so diligently to take on this challenge over the past few months. Along with the significant philanthropy and the generosity of Iowans, these funds will definitely amplify our efforts to address food insecurity uh, during the pandemic. So with that, thank you, Governor, again, and I'll turn it back to you. Oh, thank you, Adam. And I want to thank you for your leadership on the committee and, on, and really to all the members, too, uh, on the task force who have worked tirelessly to help Iowans uh, that are dealing with food insecurity during these difficult times. Your leadership uh, and the team, it is making a difference for uh, so many Iowa families across the state of Iowa. So thank you again for your leadership. I appreciate it. You know, I also want to thank our Iowa National Guard for their missions to support our food banks. In May alone, the National Guard delivered 25 mobile distributions to rural communities, equaling nearly 103,000 pounds, and that's 400,000 meals that would have not otherwise been provided. I also want to recognize, so it's a great, a, a heartfelt thanks to our soldiers who are really helping us um, tremendously through the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. I also want to recognize the genera generosity of Iowa companies who have made supporting food banks across Iowa are a state priority at this time. Delta Dental and Delta Vision is offering its members 25% premium relief credit for April and May premiums and giving them an option uh, to make those dollars go even further. Members can choose to donate to premium relief credit to the 
their premium relief credit, excuse me, to the Iowa Food Bank Association, which serves food banks in all 99 counties, and Delta Dental will match members' donations up to 250000 A number of others are stepping up to help as well. Dahl Distributing loaned a full-time driver to the Food Bank of Iowa to assist with distribution. Atlantic Bottling and the Coca-Cola Foundation has provided 35000 to each to the Riverbend Food Bank in Davenport and Northeast Iowa Food Bank in Waterloo. Farmers Mutual Hail is providing 100000 in donations to the Food Bank of Iowa, and Wellmark Foundation made a $100,000 donation to the Food Bank of Iowa as well. So just a heartfelt thanks to all of the companies and individuals who are helping Iowans in, uh, in need at this time. And with that, we will open it up for questions. So, Governor, the situation in Storm Lake appears to be, um, I don't know if you could call it out of control, but it's a, certainly a, a huge spike in, in cases there. Yeah. And from what Sarah was telling us this morning, if, if you're not notified early enough to get ahead of it, I mean, the whole testing regime you've outlined for us is to get ahead of it, mitigate yeah. it, try to stop it. Yeah. But it doesn't appear that that's worked here. I mean, it's, well, out, it it's, is. it's and, the situation that's almost Well, this is what's taken place all across the state, and it's because we have the ability to test, to actually proactively see where the virus activity is at, get into the facility and work with the uh, facility and the employees to do significant tracing, uh, testing of all of the employees. That helps us identify the scope of the virus activity. It helps us identify who's positive and negative, which is crucial as we've talked about with Secretary Nag addressed and what I have addressed multiple times about the importance of keeping the food supply chain moving and also making sure that we're doing everything we can to protect our essential workforce. So by testing, we can identify the positive, we can uh, individuals who have tested positive, we can isolate them, get them the um, get them on the road to recovery, make sure that the employers are separating the shifts so we don't have positive testing individuals working with negative testing individuals, even though it sometimes means reduced capacity at the facilities, many times, you know, even they even though they have to sometimes shut down for a short period of time, many times they're able to continue operating just at reduced capacity. So we are. And, and so, again, when you test more individuals, when we go into a hot spot, we're going to see positive outcomes. And that's part of how we address, manage, and contain. And then the balance of that, as Sarah talked about, um, a really significant piece of that is the case investigation that we do. So we can, again, start to understand the scope, get uh, make sure they're aware that they've been exposed and take the proper uh, uh, actions to protect themselves. Uh, Governor, I was wondering, you know, at the end of June, it's possible that Title 32 could end and the Iowa Guardsmen will be recalled. Um, I was wondering if you're going to use the CARES Act money to replace all 150 guardsmen that are yeah, doing I think I talked about this yesterday at the press conference. Um, but so I've already sent a letter and requested that Title 32 be extended through the end of July. I have joined all other governors across the state uh, through the National Governors Association and also sending a letter to the administration 
talk, asking them to extend it through July because of the important work that they're doing and helping us address, address uh, COVID-19. Um, but we have to plan for, you know, the scenario that that doesn't happen. And so the Department of Public Health received funding, additional $100 million, I believe, for testing and case investigation is a big piece of that. So they're walking through the numbers right now, taking a look at what that looks like and if we lost the guard support, what would be the cost to hire and bring on additional help uh, to allow us to continue to do a really important component of that, and that's case investigation. So they're running through those scenarios right now, so we'll be prepared either way. Um, we're hoping that we'll get to continue to keep the guard as, as an um, asset in helping us deal with COVID-19, but in the case that that doesn't happen, we'll have a backup plan and we'll be ready to go. Through, test, uh, through the Test Iowa program, we, we, we also ask a lot of the questions on the front end, so that's really um, enhanced the process that we're doing with the case investigation. So that's also streamlined that as well and allowed us to really be more efficient uh, with that process too. Did you have another question? Did you have a follow-up or another question? Yeah. No, no, I'm fine. Okay. I, I will in a moment. Governor, oh, okay. the law or policy does not require businesses to report an outbreak. How Can you explain to people how does that best protect Iowans' health? And then secondarily, following up from yesterday, if you're saying that you're not going to confirm an outbreak unless asked, then well, can we ask now if there are yeah. any additional outbreaks? I think she indicated one in Sarah's comment. She said that there was one additional today. And so, Dave, I did say the media will hold me accountable and ask, but I also said in response to Kay's question yesterday, for heaven's sakes, throughout this entire short two and a half months, we have enhanced our process. We learn as we go. We just have to make sure that we're, you know, balancing the privacy of individuals with the public health impact. And so I said at that, I said yesterday, we would continue to review our processes and see what what makes the most sense and how we can um, uh, consistently report out information. Do you want to reiterate some of the things that you said? I mean, I think that's what Sarah was trying to say, some of the things they take into yeah, consideration. She did. It, what was it? Tyson? Just Tyson. Tyson. That was, but that's what you were asking about yesterday. Are there any additional ones that we should no. ask you about? No. Thanks for holding me accountable. <laughs> no. Secretary Nag, if I may ask you a couple of questions about the, the uh, euthanization. So um, with the plants getting back online, do you expect this to continue for a while? I mean, I think you mentioned a number of 100, a few hundred thousand hogs that are kind of backed up. Uh, how much longer do we expect that to be necessary? And, and if I may ask you kind of a delicate question, I guess today there's going to be a video released by an animal rights group. Mm -hmm that shows how these hogs are being euthanized by shutting off their, their um, systems and basically they just suffocate. Um, it's, it's, it's probably not going to be a pretty thing for people to see. I guess how do you respond to, to that kind of well, first of all, on the on the backup, uh, the backlog piece of this, um, you know, this is something that again, it's it's been building for several weeks, and so even if you get to a place where packing plants are running at full capacity, we still have that backlog, and it'll require plants to potentially run on Saturdays, you know, get above their normal processing capacity in order to catch up, and so uh, again, it, it, this changes day by day. The good news is that 
really starting at that low point, the beginning of May, we've seen a steady uh, increase in that processing capacity. But it will take some, I, I would expect that the producers will be dealing with this really throughout the summer months. Now we're targeting these dollars to really last through the month of June because we want producers to have time to make the decisions. We don't want to force anybody to make a decision too soon, right? We want to make sure that they know that dollars will be available uh, in, in the future weeks and so that truly this is the last resort, right? Uh, no producer wants to be in this situation. So on the second question, um, uh, let me be really clear. No producer wants to be faced with this, this decision. This is absolutely against everything that they stand for and do on a day-to-day -day basis. They care for animals. They, they produce animals. They raise animals. They, they raise animals for food production. And to, to have to be forced and truly be forced into this kind of decision and this kind of action is something that no producer wants to do. So as it relates to some of the activist activity in the state, I think it's disgusting. Um, I think that our producers are experiencing an unprecedented disruption in their business and their way of life. And we've got folks with a clear agenda uh, that, are, that are kicking our farmers while they're down. Um, so um, the facts are that uh, producers work with their veterinarians. Veterinarians follow the American Vet Med Association's guidelines for euthanasia humane euthanasia, even in constrained situations like we're in today. So um, that's the guidelines. Those are the best practices that producers will use. No producer wants to be in this situation. There you go. Governor Kim Reynolds' press conference. Mike Nag of the Department of Agriculture. You heard him at the end and throughout the press conference today. Ross, as we continue through this and uh, certainly localizing it, what's happening across the state there's the positive stories. There's the negative stories. It goes back and forth every single day. Where are you? Where are you as a whole is with COVID-19? I'm starting to <laughs> become what I do in my afternoons is for people that don't know, I do the sales component of this job. So I'm out there meeting with clients, meeting with people and yeah. starting to do that more and more. But you overall, as we sit here, I mentioned at the top of the show, what, 70 some days without sports feels a lot longer some days. Yeah, it's it does, Trent. Um, I'm excited for things to get back, uh, but my uh, like, man, what a loaded question. Where am I with all of this stuff? My day to day is not nearly as maybe. Um, I'm not. I'm, I'm not around as many people, mm -hmm. as many different people. I'm, not, I'm certainly not going into businesses and doing the things that you're doing like that. So I don't maybe have some of the concerns that you do, right? I mean, if, if I'm sure you've got things that every time you go into doors, you're like, ah, mm -hmm. oh, this, you know, am I handling this the right way? Is this person going to think that I'm being either too dangerous or or not, uh, or or too protective? You, you know? wear a mask, right? Am I wearing a mask? Am I not, not wearing a mask? Because, am I saying something by wearing a mask? Exactly. Is this person going to think something if yes. I'm wearing a mask? Not wearing a mask, and that's a big deal because that first impression matters when yeah. I'm about to ask them for their money. Yep. So I don't have nearly that sort of pressure. You know, I'm going up to the charter house office on uh, on a pretty regular basis, but with the wife working overnights, I'm at home a lot with the kids, mm -hmm. and then I come here, and for the most part, as you know, we're all hermetically sealed in our own right. little rooms <laughs> yes. here. So I don't have a lot of that. I'm seeing a lot of people. I'm out and about. I'm outside every day. I'm out of the house every day, but I'm not around a lot of people. So my take on it, man, I, uh, you know, I, I'm looking back on all of the other stuff, the stuff that we know, like Rudy Gobert, yeah. you know, when 
And when we know how many people Rudy Gobert was exposed to and how many of those people, because almost all of them got tested, Mm -hmm. and how many of them actually got the disease? Three? Three. So I feel like we, we, knowing that stuff, we can start to move forward and, and say, okay, we can do this thing. And if somebody gets sick, it does not mean that everybody that they have been exposed to contracted the disease and is now carrying it out to all their families. And all that. It, it means some of them are, and we don't know who that is, and that's scary. Right. But it doesn't mean that we have to shut everything down and risk everything for that. Um encourage people to be very safe you know and we're we're trying our best i'll just be real personal with you sure. right? so, so mom's been dealing with cancer since december mm-hmm. she had her 75th birthday last night okay so getting everybody there together it's tough man what do you do how do you how do you, you can't send the grandkids over to give hugs and kisses to grandma right. you know and you're the entire time you're over there. You're trying to be hypersensitive of who's close to grandma. How close are they? How long are they close to her? And at the same time, act like everything's normal and have a fun birthday because they're my mom and dad are the ones in charge still. Okay, and if they say they want things to go a certain way, that's what we as their kids do for them. Mm-hmm. So the first couple of weeks when we were quarantining, you know, we took Eli's, I, I took a, a cell phone over to them so we could FaceTime with grandma and grandpa. We did that for like two months. We were taking groceries over there and dropping them off in the breezeway. One day my dad, I pulled up one day and he, he was wearing like big painter's goggles and an old <laughs> bike racing helmet and he had a big six foot grabber and he was, you know, like he, we're having fun with it. And then one day he called me and he's like, we're not doing this anymore. This over isn't, it. We're over it. We're done, and and if this is this is we don't want to live this way. Okay, we don't know how much time we got anyway, and this isn't the way we want to do it. Mm-hmm. So these are the new rules. Back to normal. What do you do? How you do want- you how do you say no? We're going to wear glasses and gloves and masks, and we're not going to show up, and we're going to bring groceries and drive. Then you don't get to see your mom and dad, and you don't. And and some people are making that sacrifice. Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, it's uh, everybody's doing their own thing right now and trying to figure it out. And I would hate it if somebody heard this and thought, oh, Ross doesn't love his mom. Once he wants her dead because he went over to her birthday party last night. How dare he let his kids hug his mom on her birthday? Mm-hmm. It's what she wanted. It's what she wanted. Personal responsibility. Right. And that's and uh, so we're 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 all trying our best doing doing the best. Yeah. 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 And so I anybody I I think anybody that is sitting around right now and saying, well, I know what's going to happen in August and I know what's going to happen in September and I know what's going to happen. Look up hubris. Right. And relax because nobody knows. Nobody. Just guessing. Just guessing right now. Right. Even we were just talking with Scott Miller, and he's like, well, you know, the second wave. I've, I was listening to stuff this morning from NPR that said, well, the second wave thing that we've been talking about may have been overplayed. There's there's second guessing the second wave now. Mm-hmm. You know, guess what? Nobody knows. Right. It's And we're learning more and more. And, and, and next week it might be, whoa, it's not a second wave. It's a tidal wave. Mm-hmm. It, we don't. So anyway. It comes back stronger right. and even worse. And I think that's what, like we had Jamie Pollard was on with Chris and mm-hmm. AD last night. Gary Bard is going to be on with us tonight at 5 o'clock. Um, I, I, both of these guys, I think, are smart to say, here's our plan right now, and we reserve the right to change our opinion. Because things are going to change. Well, and how quickly this can change. Just a couple of weeks ago, it felt like the NBA, the NHL, the chances right. of them coming back were, I don't want to say slim, but 
it felt like better chance than not that what we were going to see, if any fashion, it might just be we're just going to start the season coming up in October, November. Yeah. Yep. And that changed very quickly, and all this changes. And think, you mentioned Rudy Gobert, shut down sports. And I'm sure you probably heard the story of some of the things that were happening in the locker room. Rudy Gobert, it wasn't that he just had COVID-19. He was joking that he was sick and coughing on people on purpose. He was doing things, and that's why Donovan Mitchell doesn't want to play with him anymore. And a lot of people in that organization, because it was not only that he contracted, you're not going to get mad at somebody for that, but it was what he was doing, not knowing what it was. I'm sick. I'm screwing around. Ha ha. This is all funny. And then three people contracted because of the screwing around that he was doing. And that's the point. But where like, we were, we're then. We're so much smarter here yes. about this thing just two months later. Yeah. And what the rate of infection is and what the rate of death is and on and on and on. We're learning more and more. We're going to get there. I'm with you, TC. Yeah. I'm we're going to get there. We're going to get a break. When we come back, we're going to take a look back and have some fun. Wayback Machine, we go back to 2004, 16 years ago. Oh, we were both in our 20s. What a time, huh? Now, a couple of guys in their 40s just <laughs> reliving memories. <laughs> Looking back 17, 16 years ago to, for, for those glory days as a fan. <laughs> I was Big Ten Championship 2004, the victory against LSU in the Capital One Bowl. We'll relive it next. Miller and Connick continues. Ross in for Ken, 1460 KXNO and 106-in building. Miller and Connick continues, 1460 KXNO. More Candlebox. This is not two of the songs he mentioned, though. Yeah, I don't know this. I don't know this one. Brand new. Oh, I know this. Yeah, another Candlebox banger. Man. I can't wait for that birthday party when they're rocking out that Jordan Creek backyard. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. <laughs> going to be a good one. Candlebox makes its way to Des Moines. What if they play at like Woolies, places like that? I mean, it's about like I the think, venue, right? I would think that finding the Candlebox tour would be something we could pull off. Here. I think so. I think they so. just postponed shows that were set up for, uh, oh, dude, they were going to be in Kansas City. June 25th. June 25th, man. They just postponed that show. All right. It's going to happen at some point. Probably not in my backyard. Somewhere, though. Somewhere. Yeah, they're playing a lot of casinos. All right. Now we're talking. You ever been to uh, one of those casino concerts? I have. I have never been. That was a big deal up in North Iowa, where I'm from. That was a big deal. Make your way up to other cities or go up to Red Wing, Minnesota. I've never I, been to Prairie I, to one. Yes, I have, Trent. Diamond Rio? Seems like they were always <laughs> Diamond playing. Diamond Rio has they been... They were always they playing. They were everywhere. <laughs> uh, uh, Chris and Scott Caliber went up to Clint Black. Oh, really? At uh, at Wild Rose. Yep. Yeah. Up in Jefferson. I was going to go up there, the uh, um, the Mummies. Uh, have you ever... Uh, I have, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, they were playing up there a couple months ago, and I, I had tickets for that, and then something came up that night, and we couldn't get away for family reasons. Um, darn it, Trent, I cannot remember. I know I went to a show when they first opened the casino down there in uh, Creston. Osceola, you mean? Osceola, yeah, 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 yeah. Creston, jeez. Terribles? It's, terribles now, yeah. right. It wasn't, what was it called when I first opened that mm. place up? Lakeside? Yeah, I think that's what it is now. Still is called Lakeside? Yeah. Oh, whatever. 
I think it was. I'm so, I have no idea. You'd go in. They, 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 it was. It was the boat. But it's. Yeah. I think it's still a boat. Is it still a boat? It, it floats. It floats. I don't it's know on if there's water. Still water underneath it. <laughs> anyway, uh, I, I remember. I don't know which show it was. Probably like yeah. Um, I can't even think of. You know, it was probably Tanya Tucker. There you like that. go. Something along those lines, uh, casinos. Well, we're we're also getting to that age where more and more of our favorite acts—that's where they're going to be showing out. Not sold out venues anymore. Not big arenas. Now they're going to be playing Dude, in at, places at like forty. That. We're just now to the point where we're going to start liking some of the acts that show up at the fair. Yes, yeah. I'm getting excited for that because I've never been a big fair goer in terms of for the concerts. Now we're heading there. In fact, I've never been to an actual concert in the grandstand. I went to Slipknot last year. Did you? Yeah. It was awesome. Good time. It was fantastic. Well, we're uh, going back in time to 2004. Looking back at that season, Iowa on the Heels, 2002, one of the most famous Iowa football seasons, certainly of our lifetimes. 2003, another good year. They go 9-3 and in the regular season, beat floor in the Outback Bowl. There were expectations coming into 2004, but really they got off to a bad start. They go in Game 3 down to Arizona State. Mm -hmm. That was a game that there was a huge delay leading into it. It was already going to be a night kickoff in Arizona, but like a 90-minute delay because there was lightning. It was bad in Tempe. They get started, and they didn't get off the bus. That was certainly in the conversation for the worst performances in Kirk Ferentz's 21 years. I think you have to put that Arizona State game. If not at the top, it's way up there because this was a talented team. Mm -hmm. You get beat 44-7. to that was just a hideous, hideous night. Yeah, I, Trent. Honestly, I had not even thought about that Arizona State game in a very long time. And when you said 2004, I, th- I obviously think of Tate to Holloway and the end of the season. You, I had forgot about that pain. That was a really good Hawkeye football team. And blitz. And like so, like so often through Iowa and Iowa State fandom histories, we get close. You get that taste of it. You mm-hmm. get up there. You're a top ten team. You're the next. You're, you're were they a top fifteen? I'm looking at uh, they were sixteenth in the AP mm-hmm. when they went down to Arizona. Yep. Man, I, I remember that. I don't remember getting boat raced that bad, forty four to seven. I remember that was a game that I one of those games I probably turned off. Mm-hmm. At some point, you get so mad and you <laughs> go, yeah, "Screw it, I'm done. I'm done watching this." It turned into a late night. I think it didn't start until like our time, nine thirty, something I like think that. It says nine o'clock. Yeah, nine nine PM Central. By the time it got started, so you're talking about going into midnight. Though I remember the final touchdown as I was scored late with like a minute left. A punt return by Walner Bellius. Of course. Walner Bellius. It's the punt return and I don't know why. That's one of few bar bets throughout the time. Who scored the touchdown in that two thousand four game? Good for Walner you. Walner Bellius. <laughs> A name that'll live on. They come back the next week. It's Michigan. At Michigan. They played well. They lose 30-17, to but after the performance the week previous, they played incredibly well. Iowa was getting 13-and-a-half. I remember that vividly because I had the Hawks and the points there, so I won it by a hook, and I've got a victory on the rap sheet on that one. But that was also the game where Drew Tate lost his helmet on the play and made the throw up the field even though they blew the play dead. That image, and maybe... That gained a little bit more traction inside the team. And we got this true sophomore quarterback. He's mouthy. He's a little brash. But you know what? We know that guy's going to play hard. We know he's he's playing for us. I think that said a lot about Drew Tate and even a yeah. play that didn't really count. Losing 30-17, to 17, not anything to hang your hat on, but at least some positive vibes compared to the week previous. 
Yeah, Trent, man, you are going down this trip of memory lane. That's why I love listening to these when you do these because each time it's, it, it takes me back there. And I go, oh, yeah, now I remember that Drew Tate. I remember even having a moment probably on the heels of that Arizona game, Arizona State game, not liking him. Mm-hmm. Thinking, yeah. you know what? You, you're too oh, cocky. He was terrible, too. You're too cocky. Yeah. You can't back it up. And then, the, uh, it, yeah, that was one of the things. I remember that play that you're talking about. And then after Michigan, then things started. They right the ship, right? Mm-hmm. Beat Michigan State the week next yeah. and, and really blew them out. They got out to a big lead right away. Tom Bush had a touchdown there, the full pack <laughs> in the game. This is also the year, though, that they're starting to lose running backs. Albert Young goes down very early in the season. Jermel Lewis, who's anticipated to be the starter. He was finally going to be the guy after Fred Russell departs. And I love Jermel Lewis. I thought he was going to be a star at the next level. Injuries robbed him. But you're going on and on as the season progresses. They start winning games. And one of my favorites was the Ohio State game. As Hawkeye fans as you and I are, Ross, we don't see many victories against Ohio State. Remember a couple years ago against the Buckeyes. But this game and this play still for me lives on. Let's take a look back and listen to the highlight. 2004, Iowa, Ohio State. Play action, Tate, watch it all. Going deep, has got a man open, get him, touchdown! Clinton Solomon on the back end. This is when Iowa takes a two-score lead against the Buckeyes and Drew Tate helicoptering his arms <laughs> through the air, flipping them back, yeah. and running all the way 50 yards up the field into the end zone to celebrate with his teammates to beat Ohio State. And to do it in that fashion, 33-7, just a dominating performance in that game. Ohio State coming off the heels a couple years of previous winning a national championship. That one felt good. And I think that positive momentum really started to gain traction in that Buckeye game. Man, that was the, you're bringing it all back, TC. The running backs, you, Albert Young mm-hmm. and, uh, and Jamel Lewis. Was that also then the year that Damian Sims popped up? Because I remember he did? using Young and Sims when, in the college football right. uh, game, yeah, yeah. video game. Number 28, Damian Sims. Fast. Incredibly fast. He got hurt. Marcus Simmons, who transferred in from Nebraska, he got hurt in the middle of the year. He came back late in the season and played in the bowl game. But for a long time, it was... The two-headed monster of Sam Brownlee. Yeah. Love the kid. Walk-on from Emmitsburg. But you could tell he was a walk-on running back. I've had a chance to meet Sam a couple times. Awesome, awesome guy. Yeah, yeah, really fun. And the other one that played was a converted fullback, Aaron Mickens. And for whatever reason, a nickname that sticks with your buddy group, we always called him Big Chucks because the dude just had a big old ass on him. He'd be there as a fullback. (laughs) So we called him Big Chucks, Aaron Mickens. And he was running the football. And... Watching these highlights as I was going through, there are a couple of plays. That big guy could move. There was a reason that he was able to at least be somewhat effective as a bulked-up fullback of actually running the football. But that's what they were down to for four, five, six games during the stretch. You mentioned Clinton Solomon. Yes. Ed Hinkle? Hinkle, yep. Hinkle was a big part of that. Uh, he was probably the primary wide receiver, right? Because yeah. even, I mean, obviously, you think of the season, and Holloway is one of the first names that comes to mind. He was not a primary target on that team. Nope. Who were the tight ends? Scott, Scott Chandler. Chandler. Scott Chandler was there. Big play Tony Jackson. Big play Tony Jackson. Another one of those nicknames out of my buddy group that uh, we call the big play Tony Jackson. Not a whole lot of big plays. Calvin Davis, Iowa City City High kid. Didn't turn into the wide receiver I think a lot of people anticipated. And a guy that I had huge hopes for, James Townsend, who ended up transferring back home to Rutgers. 
had a touchdown in the Minnesota game, I believe, that season. His one of three catches, that was the one that went for a score. But that's your wide receiver group. But you got Chandler, good big job. play Tony Jackson. Big a couple play. of good tight ends. Big play TJ. Love that name. All right, let's continue on with our highlights as we go through the 2004 season presented by Roshan Corporation. Mentioned that Ohio State game. But the next game, this is one that not only only Iowa fans remember, I think college football fans that were watching college football in 2004 remember vividly, Iowa-Penn State. This is the 6-4 to game. I remember this. Yeah, this at Penn State. Uh, yeah, and I think you're right, Trent. You don't even have to be a Penn State or Iowa fan to maybe remember this game. I don't think you do. It's hard for us to say that because, obviously, as Hawkeye fans, we can't say that. Mm-hmm. But this is such an outlier. I mean, yeah. this is such a strange game uh, with that final score six to four. I, I remember this one in in that middle of it. Again, I never would have. I'd never put all of these back to back to back the way that. It actually happened. It's weird how your brain. I feel like that six to four game happened in 1994, <laughs> 16 years ago. Uh, go late in the game, and, and not only the score. And I think that's why a lot of people talk about it. I've seen some national websites that have had fun. You know, the the game that history will never forget because of the final score. It was six to four, but this was also the week that Kirk lost his father. Yeah, and he wasn't around the team a whole lot that week. After the game, going down to the field as they cut down and they do the post game, ESPN does with him. This uh, certainly brings you back. And for people that are big Kirk Ferentz fans, this is incredibly endearing him as the man after this game. It's been a very difficult week for you. How can you put it in the words, sir? I really can. You know, just uh, extremely proud of our team. And. Uh, yeah, just a great effort by everybody involved. This is a heck of a game. Heck of a team win for us. There are a couple guys up in heaven pretty happy today. I promise you that. They sure are. Cracking uh, right away when the question is even asked. And Kirk, he's an emotional guy. This isn't something that just happened later in late that we see with a lot of guys. They get more emotional as the time goes on. For Kirk, this was happening early in his tenure, even cracking up at that moment. Yeah, I've even been guilty of this, Trent. I think, I think honestly, most Hawkeye fans have. You know, we see Coach Ferentz on the sideline, man. What percentage of your week is that? What percentage is mm-hmm. two and a half or three hours of of your entire week? I don't even know. Like, you know, one. Right. And we see a guy over there that doesn't react the way that we would want him to, and it's easy to go, man, the guy is void of emotion. Look at him. How do you not get excited when your team scores a touchdown? And then we see it once in a while, and it, my point being, I think a lot of people have done that. We say, this guy doesn't have, he doesn't wear his emotions on his sleeve like a lot of coaches do. And then you talk to anybody that's ever been around the guy for more than that 1%, and they go, you're crazy. This dude's a screamer and a yeller, and he's passionate, and he loves, and he's, he, 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 this guy, he cries and emotes. You just don't see it during the game because the cameras aren't on him. And then we take that little tiny projection and we go, yep, that's who he is all the time, and why isn't he more like me? And I think when you see stuff like this, it humanizes a guy. It brings it back to remind you that he's just like you. Well, we got to fast forward through the remainder of the season as we're short on time. But uh, the Wisconsin game, the last Big Ten title for Kirk Ferentz, fans celebrating on the field after the game. That was for a number of years. The last time I was on the field at Kiddick Stadium just because you only go there for the big moments. What a great moment that was. There was the upset at the end of the season. Iowa gets a Big Ten title. But we finish up. 
And we're out on this a highlight that Hawkeye fans will remember a long time. Thank you, Roshan Corporation. 2004, Tate to Holloway. Now they got to call timeout. They wind the clock. Nine seconds to play, and Drew Tate doesn't know that. The game's going to end on this play. He fires downfield. It's caught, and into the end zone. Touchdown, Iowa! Touchdown, Iowa! No time on the clock. I don't believe what I just saw. Touchdown, Iowa! Oh, my God, I can't believe what I just saw. Was it Solomon? It was, no. Or Holloway. 